This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Hello out there in Michigan radio land. Lame duck. What is a lame duck? Well, obviously, uh, it is a limping duck that is lame. But these days, uh, we define lame duck differently. Lame duck is a session of the legislature in even-numbered years between the general election in early November and New Year's Eve, the last day of the year. It's about a seven-week period during which a legislature, in this case the Michigan legislature, convenes, meaning it meets and considers legislation, passes legislation, sends it to the governor. And uh, the uh, lame duck session this year, uh, the intensity is stepping up. Because Michigan's Republican-controlled legislature is facing an incoming Democratic governor, attorney general, secretary of state, beginning on January 1st, along with reduced majorities in the House and Senate. Now, Democrats are complaining that the lame duck bills, many of them that are being considered, are aimed at putting roadblocks in the way of Democratic plans or watering down ballot proposals that passed on November 6th with Democratic support that were approved uh, just a matter of weeks ago. Uh, What are some of these bills? And I would say that a lot of them fall under the rubric of what I would describe as giving more influence to the legislative branch of government uh, vis-a-vis the executive branch, the perhaps judiciary, uh, particularly in court cases. So some of these bills that are being considered that you've read and heard about in the last couple of weeks are uh, efforts to uh, influence the interpretation of and the application of the legalization of recreational marijuana, Proposal 1 on the November 6th ballot. Another one would allow senators uh, who earlier ran for the state house of representatives to transfer surplus funds from their Senate campaign committees to their inactive and cash poor house committees in order to uh, pay off old debts. Uh, Another bill would Uh, You could say, keep dark money dark. Uh, It would bar state agencies, including the attorney general's office and the secretary of state's office from requiring nonprofits, which are frequently used to pay for political issue ads to disclose information about donors, volunteers, or members. Another proposal, uh, Senate bill 1171 would uh, amend the uh, already enacted minimum wage hike, which was passed and signed into law by Governor Snyder back in September. It was the result of an initiated petition drive, uh, which 
could have gone on the ballot if the legislature had chosen to put it on the ballot. Instead, the legislature enacted it, and now they're coming back and amending it after the election, and the Democrats are crying foul. Another proposal, uh, Senate Bill 1175, is paid sick leave. Uh, Paid sick leave uh, is also an attempt to amend uh, a new law that was put into effect by the legislature and governor back in September on earned sick leave uh, that could have gone on the ballot, just like raising the minimum wage but the legislature enacted it and now they're coming back and by a simple majority vote in the house and Senate, they're trying to amend it. Uh, there's another bill that would uh, prohibit local governments from adopting or enforcing, uh, online, uh, or charters, uh, and prohibiting or restricting the removal of trees or other vegetation on private property. Another one affects the Enbridge Line 5 tunnel in the Straits of Mackinac, uh, which is a very controversial issue because of fear that there might be a spill from the pipeline up there. Another bill is abortion telemedicine would extend the ban on doctors providing abortion-inducing drugs to patients over the phone or through a video conference call. Another would reduce... uh, This is a separate bill, separate bill, Senate Bill 1211 would redefine which wetlands require Department of Environmental Quality permission to modify or fill. Uh, There is also a bill on uh, promote the vote, uh, voter uh, access, which was proposal three on the ballot, November 6th, approved by the electorate, the uh, statewide in the, in the vote in the general election on November 6th, this would attempt to refine or amend, uh, that particular proposal. And there's a real question of whether, uh, that requires a three quarters majority, uh, Republicans insist that it doesn't. It only requires a simple majority, so that could be the subject of litigation. There's also an attempt to amend uh, Proposal 2 by legislation, Senate Bill 1254. Uh, And there's a real question about whether that can be meddled with because that's a constitutional amendment. Uh, There's also a bill that would change campaign finance oversight by taking it away from the Secretary of State Uh, who is newly elected Jocelyn Benson, a Democrat, and giving it to a bipartisan commission appointed by the governor with recommendations from both political parties. I mean, there are other bills, too. There is uh, drone regulation. Uh, There is uh, legislation to define PFAS standards in drinking water. There is a bill to uh, redefine fireworks regulation, give more power to local governments to restrict it. Um, so, uh, we can add one more and that's the landfill tipping fee hike that, uh, governor Snyder is seeking. So these are all very controversial bills. They've all either been reported out of committee in one chamber or the other, or they have passed Uh, on the floor of the House or Senate, one chamber, they're over in the other house. 
uh, or in one or two cases, they've actually passed both houses and they're on their way to the governor. Now, lame duck, what is the history of lame duck? Lame duck uh, actually was never uh, anything that happened in the Michigan legislature for the first 63 years that Michigan was a state. Uh, Michigan became a state in 1837. It wasn't until the year 1900, 63 years later, that there was a lame duck session. Uh, and that yielded absolutely no bills that passed that went to the governor for his signature at that time. Uh, the next lame ducks occurred in the 1930s, 1932, 34, 36. And that was under circumstances somewhat similar to what we see today, because in those years, the governor was elected for two-year terms. And every two years, 32, 34, 36, the governorship was changing party hands, partisan control, and also control the legislature was changing party hands in those years. Uh, then you saw uh, in 1948 a lame duck session of the legislature. And by the way, that was a legislature controlled by Republicans. And guess what? There was an incoming Democratic governor, G Men and Soapy Williams. So there was a lame duck session. And then there weren't many more lame duck sessions until the 60s. And it really kicked into high gear in the 90s. But we arrive at today, we've never seen anything like what we are seeing right now. Lame ducks are soaring. We will be back in a minute with our first guest to talk about this. got a guest and he is the former legal counsel to ex-governor William G. Milliken uh, back in the day and uh, an attorney in private practice for many years since. Also, he was a workers' compensation magistrate at the uh, state level. He has been an adjunct professor at Cooley Law School and he loves the state capitol so much he is still a part-time capital tour guide. I can't imagine anybody better than Ken Franklin to lead me around the Capitol and show me the sights. Ken Franklin, welcome to the Political Insider. Well, thank you, Bill. And uh, I'd like to start out with this overall general title of legislative intervention uh, in court cases and legislative intervention into other uh, branches of government, the executive branch, maybe the judicial branch. Uh, there seems to be an eagerness in this particular departing legislature uh, to enact bills that uh, Democrats in particular are complaining encroach on the power of the executive branch uh, in particular. And I'd just like to ask you, how do you look at this whole issue and what's going on right now? Um, thanks, Bill. <clears throat> they, uh, the fundamental way of looking at this issue, these issues, is to look at the uh, uh, Michigan Constitution. Um, 
in distinction from the federal constitution, which is an empowering document, the Michigan Constitution is a limiting document. Uh, the legislative branch is all powerful as far as passing legislation that creates the public policy of the state of Michigan. The only limitation is if there is something in the Michigan Constitution that specifically addresses the inability of the legislature to act. In other words, it is a ban or a limitation on the otherwise plenary authority of the uh, legislature. So when we look at all of these bills that are being introduced, you need to look at it through that microscope. Is there something in the Michigan Constitution that would prevent the legislature from taking whatever action it, it is uh, proposing? Uh, and that is the easiest way of looking at some of these proposals. If we look at the uh, minimum wage uh, and the sick leave bills, those were initiated by the citizens. Uh, our Constitution in uh, Article 2, Section 9 indicates that the citizens have reserved to themselves the opportunity to do something that perhaps the legislature does not want to do. So they initiated the proposal. The section of the Constitution also says the legislature can enact it, which they did. Uh, therefore, it becomes a public act and therefore subject to potential amendment later on by the legislature. Uh, the legislature saw fit to do that, to amend the law, and the question was whether or not they could do it in the same session. Um, whether, whether they could come back in the same session and amend the law that they just passed three months earlier. Correct. And uh, the attorney general has issued an opinion in which he said that they could do that. He did an exhaustive analysis of Section uh, of, of Section 9 um, and said, I do not see any limitation. There's nothing expressed in that section that says the legislature cannot do that. Therefore, they could move forward. He noted that there is also the power of referendum. And in that particular section, there is a reference that the legislature cannot do anything in uh, the current session with respect to taking action on, on, a, on a bill, on a uh, referendum that's passed. And there's no such language as it relates to the initiated proposal. And so that was the basis of his opinion and why, and, and I assume, the legislature has gone ahead and uh, passed those two bills in particular. Um, you mentioned the uh, bill with respect to uh, potentially uh, limit, uh, well, the, the one that is of, of some concern is the one in which the legislature wants standing to intervene in court actions. Uh, the, the Attorney General's name is referenced in the Constitution, but there's nothing that indicates what the powers are. Uh, in 1848, the legislature actually passed a law indicating what the Attorney General's powers were, and he could uh, prosecute and defend all actions in, in any court in the state. In 1919, they, 
The legislature also passed a law that indicated that the Attorney General is empowered to intervene in any action anywhere in any court. Well, now, let let me just stop right there. It it gives them the power to intervene, but what does it say anything about uh, the Attorney General maybe deciding, I'm not going to intervene. I don't want to intervene. In other words, it's totally up to the Attorney General as to what he chooses to intervene in. That is correct. The Attorney General has exercised that authority in some instances and has not in others. Uh, so that that's a guess us to the question of, well, well, why would the legislature want this independent authority? Um, I, I happen to believe it is not particularly good public policy that uh, the legislature ha- would have independent status to intervene in a case. Lawyers know that a lawsuit has to have a case in controversy. It has to have interested parties, and that's what we call standing. And the legislature currently would not have standing. So if a judge had a a lawsuit before them and the legislature said, we want to intervene in this case, they would have to demonstrate what particular standing they had, and the the judge would then decide, well, you can or cannot intervene. What the legislature is proposing is to essentially bypass that step that a judge currently has to determine who should be a proper party and indicate by law that they do have standing, that they are can be an actual litigant in a lawsuit. Um, It creates all kinds of... um, potential problems and issues, um, one being, well, are they actually intervening in uh, the a power of the judiciary? That is, to make determinations on uh, who are proper parties for standing in litigation. Um, it also raises a question, well, how, how would a judge react if they had a litigant um, Mr. Ballinger, you're representing the Attorney General's office. What's your position in this case? And Mr. Franklin, you're representing uh, the state legislature. You have a contrary position. How can the state of Michigan have two different positions? Uh, my One of my suspicions is that <clears throat> there, there may be an interest as it relates to the Elliot Larson civil rights law. Um, the concept of sexual orientation is not a current prohibitive activity in the Elliott Larson Act. It's conceivable that based upon public statements of the uh, Attorney General-elect that she may not have the same view of the uh, Elliott Larson Act as the current Attorney General. Uh, We know that recently the Michigan Civil Rights Commission has advanced the position that the Elliott Larson Act, uh, by inference, has has the uh, authority to to ban sexual orientation. Uh, The current Attorney General does not support that position. Assuming that the Attorney General-elect would like to take a contrary position, or, or support the Civil Rights Commission, I can envision why the legislature would want to be a, a party in any proceedings that might uh, uh, contest those various opinions. 
Okay, we got to take a quick break here, but we'll be back and pick up on that thread and go forward with some other questions. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We're back with Ken Franklin, former legal counsel to uh, ex-governor William G. Milliken and uh, an adjunct professor at Cooley Law School. Um, And uh, we've been talking about uh, the power of the legislature to assert its authority, either in litigation or otherwise. Uh, Ken Franklin, I'd just like to ask you, uh, there is a bill, Senate Bill 1252, that would shift oversight of campaign finance law from the Secretary of State, who is now going to be Democrat Jocelyn Benson, elected on November 6th. It would shift uh, oversight over campaign finance, which has always been in the office of Secretary of State, and give it to a new six-person bipartisan commission appointed by the governor uh, with recommendations from the two political parties to the governor as to who she could appoint. Uh, Is this something that is constitutional and legal as far as you can see? And then, you know, maybe you could make uh, an argument one way or another whether it's good public policy. But the question is, is it legal? Uh, again, you look through that telescope of whether or not the state constitution uh, has any particular reference to banning and or preventing the legislature from enacting uh, such a proposal. Uh, and to the best of my knowledge, I don't believe there's anything in the constitution that you can directly say prohibits the legislature from taking this action. Uh, the office of secretary of state, like the office of attorney general, there's only an oblique reference in the constitution that, that their office will be elected. There's nothing that defines what their responsibilities will be. So therefore the legislature can define what the responsibilities of the secretary of state uh, might be. Uh, <clears throat> so to the extent that they are, uh, Proposing this this new uh, allegedly bipartisan uh, commission, I suspect would be well within their authority. Um, the wisdom of doing that is uh, is another question. The fact that it uh, is uh, equally divided uh, and the membership of the commission come from political parties looks a lot like the uh, state board of canvassers. Which is two-two by uh, political party designations, and as you well know, uh, it is often very difficult for that body to come up with uh, a majority uh, decision on any particular proposal. And one would expect that uh, you would probably have the same kind of a likelihood should this particular com- commission actually. Uh, be enacted into law signed by the governor and then going forward. Yeah. And a lot of people have said this is maybe analogous to the federal elections commission, which has also been subject to a lot of deadlocks because of partisan, you know, even membership that 
uh, can't get its act together and make a majority decision. Well, look, yeah, let, let, I've read that. Uh, I've, I've seen those observations and I think they're pertinent to this discussion, but as far as just the legal issue, I, I, I don't see any limitations in the constitution. So therefore legally they can do it, whether or not it's good public policy, obviously is a different question. Okay. Let's get to the really big uh, question, I think. And that is proposal two that was on the November Six general election ballot, and that was the proposal that took the power to uh, draw new district lines for the state house of representatives and the state senate and congressional districts every ten years after the census, and give it to a newly enacted uh, commission, thirteen-member commission. Uh, this is the so-called voters, not politicians ballot proposal. It was passed uh, pretty strongly uh, by the electorate on November 6th. And the question is, uh, this is in the constitution. This is not an initiated law um, or an initiative petition uh, question that got on the ballot like proposal one or proposal three. This is an actual constitutional amendment and the question is whether the legislature may enact a statute to further define the parameters of the newly enacted constitutional amendment sponsored by voters, not politicians. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say, absolutely not. They cannot do this. And yet they're trying to do it. Uh, they are trying to pass legislation that would, uh, make some adjustments, uh, or flesh out details of how that particular proposal is to be administered. How do you look at this issue, Ken Franklin? Uh, again, we we look at the the same microscope uh, telescope. Uh, persons initiate or uh, have a uh, constitutional amendment proposal for the express purpose of limiting the otherwise plenary authority of the legislature. That's the principal reason why you do it. You want an amendment because an amendment to the Constitution uh, would prohibit the legislature from uh, enacting um, laws that were inconsistent with what's in that proposal. Uh, the drafters of that particular proposal, I believe, were very astute in understanding that, and they provided uh, a particular section that said that amendment would be self-executing. A lot of the provisions of the of our Constitution are broad statements, and they include the uh, phrase, as provided by law or implemented by future legislation. This proposal is very clear that it is totally self-executing and that the legislature would have absolutely no authority to uh, try to make changes in anything that is there in that constitutional amendment. The only way that you can do it is would be with a future constitutional amendment. Uh, if the legislature didn't like it, they obviously could propose uh, a, a constitutional amendment for the voters to uh, act on. But uh, in my opinion, this is one of those areas where it's really, really clear that uh, the legislature uh, just does not have the authority uh, to try 
to do something that was is inconsistent with proposal two. Yeah, well, Ken Franklin, let me just mention one thing, and that is, as you know, there are many provisions of the Constitution where the legislature does have some authority to pass laws uh, which flesh out uh, the actual execution and administration of constitutional language, so long as it doesn't abrogate what the constitutional language says. And, I mean, the legislature apparently is not trying to amend the constitutional amendment. That would be a no-no. But they are passing bills saying, well, these are necessary to uh, get this constitutional language to be practically administratable uh, so that it could really function the way it's supposed to function. Now, you know, you can disagree with their position, but they're passing bills that they claim, you know, are just providing some detail that is missing in the constitutional language. Are you still saying they cannot do that? Uh, that would be my opinion, as I understand, uh, you know, court cases that have interpreted our constitutional provisions. Uh, it, uh, this is this is an issue that I I think is pretty clear cut, and and I would be very 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 surprised if some court uh, said that the legislature could uh, pass some of these things, which they say are simply helping to administer the act. The fact that they put this provision in saying that it is self-executing is definitive. And in, in my view, uh, eliminates any uh, nefarious activity by, by uh, legislative enactment. Well, listen, Ken Franklin, honestly, we could keep talking about this until the cows come home, so to speak. <laughs> Hours, uh, such a complex subject, but you've done a great job of explaining uh, the limitations on the legislature to be able to do some of the things they're trying to do right now. And thank you very much. Um, and we'll be back in a minute. This is MTN and you're listening to the political insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We're back with some final words from another special guest. He is Bruce Timmons. Uh, back in the 1970s, he was the legal counsel to the House Judiciary Committee in the state House of Representatives, chaired at that time by a number of Democrats, particularly uh, the inimitable J. Bob Traxler, uh, who went on to be a congressman uh, and Later, Bruce uh, became a legal counsel and policy advisor to the Republican Policy Office in the House. So he's worked both sides of the aisle. Bruce Timmons, we're really glad to have you with us. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, let me just uh, ask you this. We had three ballot proposals put before the electorate on November 6th, uh, proposals one, two, and three. One was recreational marijuana. Three was promote the vote. They were both initiated petitions, but the second proposal, proposal two, was the so-called uh, voters not politician uh, proposal, and that was a constitutional amendment. And I guess I just want to ask you the question, um, is there a difference between the legislature trying to 
amend uh, proposals one and three on the one hand with bills, which they're trying to do right now in the lame duck session, and their efforts separately to actually try to pass bills that would uh, affect or amend, not amend, but affect the implementation of proposal two, which is a constitutional amendment. Uh, what is your general feeling about the ability of the legislature to uh, intervene in this way? And what about the requirements supposedly uh, that the legislature needs a three quarters majority uh, of both chambers to be able to amend any initiated law, which proposals one and three would be uh, as opposed to a simple majority. Uh, how do you sort all that out? Well, I really don't have an opinion on the VNP legislation. I haven't followed that. I'm not sure exactly what they're trying to do with it. Um, I'm a little more a little more familiar on the proposal one and three initiatives. Uh, I don't think the legislature is restricted in when um, or how they amend something that they enacted directly. Um, it is not an initiated law per se because um, they didn't get to the vote of the people. Um, so, I'm sorry. Um, well, no, it did wait, get a did vote get, of the sorry. people. Yeah. Um, if it's initiated law in effect, then it's going to require a three-fourths vote. Okay. If, so, it, so it, you think there's no way around that. They claim they only need a simple majority. I, I don't understand how they can make that claim. Um, pardon me. Yeah. Get, get, <laughs> Yeah. You probably don't either. Well, that's okay. You can say so. Yeah. Initiate uh, law is going to require a three-fourths vote. I'm not sure how they're going to totally get around. Well, what if they pass separate bills, separate bills that don't, you know, actually amend the very that yeah. particular law but have an effect on the implementation of that law? Yeah. There is an opinion of the AG going back some time ago um, that, suggested that anything that is that really directly affects that um, initiated may require a three-fourths vote. That's never really been tested that I know of. Um, if it amends the very sections of the initiated law, then that requires a three-fourths vote for sure. Okay. Well, let me ask you the broad question, and I think you've got some opinion on this, about legislative intervention in uh, litigation. I mean, the legislature trying to give itself the power, which it's trying to do in some separate bills, separate from what we've been talking about, uh, to intervene. Like, let, let's say uh, the legislature enacts a law during this lame duck session to create an independent authority to oversee the construction of a tunnel under the Straits of Mackinac, the so-called Line 5. And let's say the attorney general... Uh, coming in, Dana Nessel says, you know what? I'm not going to defend this law. Uh, I don't believe this is a good law. I don't want this tunnel built. Uh, I want Enbridge to pull out of the Straits of Mackinac, and I'm not going to defend it. Should the legislature and can the legislature uh, legally or constitutionally be able to uh, pass a law that would give it standing so that it could uh, basically say, okay, you know what? We're going to defend our law that we passed and that the governor signed in law if the attorney general won't do it. What do you think about all that? 
Well, I think the legislature should be able to do that. Um, it is now not clear that they could unless they uh, asked to intervene and the court in this direction couldn't say no. I would go back into, I think, the 70s um, when there was an instance on the prison, over, um, prison Overcrowding and Emergency Powers Act passed by the legislature to try to deal with overcrowding in prisons without having to build more prisons or without just simply letting them out. Um, that was an effort that the AG had a tepid response to a challenge that I think was made by Brooks Patterson to the validity of that law. And the legislature, or I should say the House, intervened in that case. The AG tried to, to block that. The, U, the Michigan Supreme Court allowed it and allowed House attorney staff to participate in oral argument. And the final result was the Supreme Court upheld that statute and borrowed heavily from the brief that was submitted by um, the House staff attorney. Uh, I think most of those at the time would have said that that statute would have not been upheld but for that effort. Uh, I can think of basically going back that far and in the future, attorneys general's opinions have largely been upheld when challenged in court, except when it deals with legislative matters. That track record is spotty. And typically, um, whoever's in office tends to try to um, limit the powers of the legislature, uh, and I think in, most, in many instances, just plain wrong. One of the earliest memos I did for Speaker Ryan back in the early 70s was to fend off an attempt by the AG to let an executive order of Milliken uh, take effect with not enough time for the legislature to respond. Um, memo, I said, the Constitution's clear. They get 60 days. And uh, the, the Milliken didn't push it, um, and the particular executive order never went into effect. But the AG wanted to limit the time period. Uh, so I think there is justification. I know there are times where we had to jump through just stupid hoops um, because of an assistant AG who didn't even know how statutes were written um, or to how it expressed in the title of the act. And we had a meeting, Republicans and Democrats staff, met with the AG's deputy uh, AG to say, no, please back off. This doesn't make any sense at all. And they wouldn't do it. And um, the House Democrats at that time did not want to push back against Kelly because they were the same party. Uh, the scenario had been different. I'm not sure there might not have been a challenge to that. And, in, in fact, within a few years after that, I think there was a case that, that, that basically pushed back against that AG and Turpin um, we proceeded to write statutes and titles the way we had done for decades and continue to do it. So there are times where there's just real friction between the Attorney General and the legislature. And, and the question becomes, who sets the policy of the state? Is it the, repre the elected representatives and governor, or is it the Attorney General? The Attorney General decides it's not going, he or she is not going to defend the statute. They're putting themselves in, this, in, in making public policy. One person. Elected, yes. But that's one person, not, and that kind of defeats the purpose of how we generally set policy, and that's by statute and with the governor's signature or in some cases override. But um, I think that's why there is merit to having the legislature being able to intervene. And it, they're not going to intervene all the time. They don't have the staff. They don't have the budget. 
it's going to have to be selective. The idea that they're going to uh, extremely uh, increase the budget to do it, it's not going to happen. It's a red herring. And with Governor um, Whitmer uh, having some control of the budget, legislature's not going to be able to double its budget to do that. It's not going to happen. It's going to be selective. But in those cases, um, that may very well be what's necessary. The so, anyways, that's... Uh, well, I understand what you're saying, and, and we're just about out of time. I'll just ask you, uh, just if the legislature does decide to get into a particular case, it doesn't guarantee it's going to win. Oh, absolutely not. It just gives it a seat at the table, that's right. right? That's right. So, I mean, I think that's important. Now, how is that different from, let's say, an amicus curiae? I mean, the legislature could maybe do that now. They right. could, but it's, it's a little, in a sense, a little less involvement. They can certainly submit that. Um, but I think the intervention gives the um, legislature the ability to actually participate in the oral argument and appellate matters. I got you. Listen, Bruce Timmons, very insightful comments. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I think you've given people a real sense of the history of this whole issue. We'll see what happens going forward. Thank you so much, Bruce Timmons. Thank you.